So life, as y'all well know, I'm not telling you something you're probably not aware of. Life is full of moments of all kinds, right? And how we respond to those moments will add up to the kind of life we're going to live ultimately. And that's the one day at a time kind of approach that the Bible calls for in terms of living. And I want you and I to specifically, though, to this morning uh, to consider how to handle anxious moments. Have I, I don't think I'm alone. Has anybody ever had an anxious moment before? Maybe even on the way to church, right? So we all have anxious moments. That's not really the question. The question is, how are you and I going to respond to those anxious moments? What has Christ given us? in order to handle those well, handle those in a healthy way as opposed to a destructive way. Because you can, you can make either choice even as a believer, right? How you respond to those anxious moments is a, whole, a lot more relevant than actually experiencing them because we're going to experience them. That's just a, a way of a fallen world and a fallen nature. We're going to experience anxious moments. So again, it goes back to how are you and I going to respond and are we prepared to do so according to chapter 5 and 1 Peter that we're going to look at four powerful verses that give us that calling. And he looks at it in two parts and that's how I want us to consider it this morning. Peter basically tells us that in Christ, there are two things you and I need in place in order to be in a position to handle those anxious moments that will come our way. One is the right spiritual foundation, and that's not a theory. We'll get into this in a minute. We're going to look at what Peter says needs to be in place, how you and I need to respond in order to have the right spiritual foundation to respond, to handle these anxious moments that will come our way. And the second one is the faith response. It's one thing to know Christ, even follow Christ, but it's another thing to take that next step of faith when it comes to these kinds of times in our lives. So I want us to look at that through, through the eyes of Peter. He's speaking to believers, some of which were of Jewish background who had chosen to follow Christ and were being persecuted and were experiencing anxiousness because of their circumstances. Now, we all know this too. I just want to get us all on the same page this morning. Anxious moments have a variety of triggers, right? A tr variety of sources. Sometimes it's people. Don't look at the person next to you if that's the case. It could be people in your life that whatever they're doing is causing an anxious moment to you and to your life. That's a trigger point. Uh, it, it could be circumstances that you didn't invite and ask for to come in your life. It could be, by the way, circumstances that you created in life as well. Or it could be simply you feel and you're just at a place on a personal basis where you're vulnerable and you, you feel vulnerable and weak and, and it just is. That's life, right? That's life. Anxious moments come along our way. I don't care what your background is, how much money you make or don't make. I don't care who you are. It doesn't respect persons. It comes everybody's way. So how are you going to respond? That's the big question. Let's look at what Peter says in terms of that response. He says, number one, humble yourselves, talking to believers. Therefore, under God's mighty hand, chapter 5, 1 Peter, verse 6, he then says that he, that is Christ, that is God, may lift you up in due time. Verse 7, he goes on to say, cast all your anxiety on him, on God, on Christ, because he cares for you. 
Then he says, be alert. He used these words last week in chapter 4. Be alert and of sober mind. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. Resist him. That is, resist the satanic realm, Satan, the devil. Resist him standing firm in the faith because you know that the family of believers throughout the world is undergoing the same kind of sufferings that you are, essentially. So look back and let's look at that spiritual foundation and where he starts. What you ought to note, first of all, in this passage is that Peter uses an imperative form three or four times in four verses. He repeatedly uses that form, and there's a reason for it. The imperative we've talked about before, when you know something's imperative, it means you've, it's an absolute. It's kind of like breathing. If you're going to live, you've got to breathe. If you're going to live, you've got to have food and water. This is an imperative, and so it means that when Peter says, humble yourselves, that's the first imperative. He is saying this is an absolute need. He is not making a suggestion. He's saying this is a command from God Himself. If you're going to have the right spiritual, spiritual basis to respond to anxious moments, that's the context. You and I have got to make the choice to do what? Humble yourselves. Humble yourselves before God. Now, now that phrase, humble yourselves, is important to understand because it basically emphasizes two things. In your life and my life as a follower of Christ, it, it emphasizes, first of all, that each new day of my life, I'm waking up and I'm recognizing my need for Christ. Hello, I'm seeing my need for Christ, right? How often, and this is all free here, this is coming to my mind, how often do you get up and how often do I get up sometimes and I get to cruising through life dealing with problems and challenges in life and all of a sudden I discover I'm doing it in my own strength. I'm trying to create my own answers. I'm not seeing my need for Him when I do that, right? Come on, we can, we can passively not see our need for Christ. So every morning, every day I get up, every moment within my days, depending on the day, I've got to see and re-recognize, if you will, re-see, if you will, renewed sight on the fact that I need Him. I cannot do this on my own. I'm not as independent as our culture says I ought to be. I don't, the bootstraps don't work. I pull them up and they break. It just does not work. And so Peter says, number one, humble yourselves in meaning that you actually understand your need for God in your life. That you and I understand, online or in this room, you understand your need. I understand my need for Christ every single moment, every single day in my life. And you know what? Circumstances tend to slap me against the head and remind me of that fact sometimes, right? Have you ever had the experience? Just when I think I've got it under control, I realize I don't because I've been relying on self. And so you got to see your need for Christ, number one. And the other inference of that word or that phrase, humble yourselves, means to submit to Him. It's the difference, as we talked about just last week, between being a fan of Jesus and being a follower of Jesus. Until I actually submit to His control and trust Him to lead me through that valley, it's not going to work. Anxiousness is going to take over as opposed to Christ. So I've got a choice to make. Imperative number one is humble yourselves. And I want you to look at this. The grace of God is all over these verses. I hope you'll see this because God promises us these amazing things, but He owes us nothing. He, he promises us so much in these verses and He owes me zero, but he, he, He's offering me abundance. Why do I say that? Look at it again. Verse one, 
Humble yourselves. There's the imperative. There's my choice in the midst of anxious moments. And he says, therefore, and therefore is connecting humbling yourselves, the action, the choice to do so with what God's going to do if you will only humble yourselves. He says, humble yourselves, therefore, under God's mighty hand that he may not, listen, not you, but he may lift you up in due time. Now, two parts of that phrase I want you to look at just real briefly. First of all, the, the, the phrase where he says, under God's mighty hand, Peter is speaking to a lot of Jewish believers in his day and time who were going through difficult times and going through anxious moments in their life. And that imagery of God's mighty hand goes all the way back to the Old Testament that they would have been very familiar with. And it means the deliverance of God. He's offering you deliverance. Listen, not just from, but in. Not just from your circumstance and your anxiousness, but in the middle of it. He's offering you a deliverance. And, and in this, this imagery of God being the deliverer, it is used one of the first times back the story we all know when the people of God were delivered from hundreds and hundreds of years of slavery in Egypt. God's mighty hand did that. Not Moses, not the people, God in his mighty hand. So when you and I choose to humble ourselves, in the midst of these anxious moments, my friend, as a follower of Christ, if you're truly a follower of Christ, you are having access, according to his word, to the mighty hand of God. Anybody would like that? You ever run into a circumstance where, <clears throat> man, Lord, my hand is shriveling up. I don't have any power. But you do. And that's what's being offered here that we ought to take note of. And I like the other part of this too. He says, humble yourselves. Therefore, here's what will happen if you'll trust him under God's mighty hand that he may what? That he may lift you up. Now, don't stop there because there's the rest here that's very important. Did you see it? Now, I don't like this, but did you see it? That he may lift you up in due time. And of course, you know what that means. His timing, not your timing. When I'm in the midst of my anxious moments, my circumstances or whatever it is in life where people are causing me some anxiousness, whatever it may be, I don't know about you, but, but his timing and my timing are not always the same thing. Is that a big shocker? My timing is right now. Let me out of this. But God's timing is no, stay right there because I've got some things to do in you and through you in the midst of your anxiousness. Now, I prefer the right now answer. But that's not always God's answer. And the inference here is that God knows what the best timing is. You don't take it out too early. He's going to leave you in it exactly as much as you need to stay in it in order to do a work in you and through you. So number one, he's telling us if you and I are going to have the right spiritual foundation to respond to those anxious moments of life, it will require a humble heart before God, which how does that happen every new day? You don't have a humble heart for God blank check for the rest of your life. You do it. You've heard me say this before. You do it each new day. And maybe in, within some of your days, each new moment, right? Come on. Sometimes life is tough, tougher than normal and we have to re-engage and choose to see our need for Him and choose to submit to Him each moment in the day. But then He goes on and He, he gives us another part of this. 
And it's not just to, to come to him with a humble heart, but as we see in verse 7, it is a matter of taking on a Christ perspective about my circumstances, about the people, about my anxiousness. And he says, cast all, not some, God can handle it all, by the way, cast all your anxiety on him, on God, on Christ. Why? Because he, what? Cares for you. Now, the word anxiety there is important to note because it, it refers to being distracted. It refers to and pictures somebody being pulled in, in two different directions. And so, Peter is saying that our God can handle this. You do not have to focus on what doesn't matter. Focus on Him. Choose. It's a day-to-day, moment-to-moment choice. And when I make the choice of faith, then He is in the lead. But listen, when I don't make the choice of faith, my feelings, my anxiousness are going to monopolize my thinking and my heart. You ever been there? Can't sleep, can't eat, can't walk, you, you name it. I can't function. Why? Because sometimes I am not choosing him. I am choosing how I feel to lead the way. And, and Peter is saying, when you will truly cast your anxiety on him, you're choosing faith over feelings. You're choosing faith over what's going on and the anxiousness you feel. But he says, this God, this Christ, cast out your anxiety. He can handle it. And he's in a better place to handle it. And do it, keep doing it, and do it over and over again is the inference there. And look at the reason. Now, now you've heard me, I know I say this a lot, but wake up. You need to hear this part. He says to do this, why? Or did you see it? Because he what? Cares for, not us, you. And that's the inference of the word. Now listen, don't fly by that overnight here or just whiz over 20,000 feet. Dig into that. You know what that says? <laughs> it's amazing. The God of the universe who created every ounce of you in every part of this whole universe, most of which we don't even understand, it's so massive, is interested in you. That's what that says. It's not a big, broad, ethereal us. It is because he cares about you and your circumstances and your anxiousness, whatever is the source. And so... If you and I are going to be in that place to have the foundation to handle our anxious moments, it involves this spiritual foundation that is a humble heart and a Christ perspective. I love, and you've heard me quote this particular guy a lot lately, but I love what William Barclay say, says about this passage and, and the application of God caring for us. Look at what he says. He says, we can be certain that because God cares for us, life is out not to break us, but to make us. And with that assurance, we can accept any experience which comes to us knowing that God works everything together for the good to them who love Him. And he's quoting Romans 8.28. That's pretty amazing. And you're either going to live it or not. You're either going to face your next anxious moment on the foundation of Christ or you're not. It's one or the other. And you and I, if you know Christ have a choice. So in essence, once again, here's what is the call and the promise. 
He says, if you're going to handle your anxious moments next on this spiritual foundation, it requires a humble heart before God each new day of your life. And when you do that, the promise is that it will lead to experiencing the strength of God himself. The power of God himself, his mighty hand will do this work. And the other thing that it requires for you and I is a Christ perspective. Quit looking at your anxiousness, your circumstances, the people causing it or whatever it is through your limitations of your own eyes. Look at it through the eyes of Christ. Ask him, what are you trying to do through this? What do you see? Ask him and he will show you how he sees your moment in life. And when we do that, we will experience the care of God on a personal basis, not just as some oblique, abstract basis. That's some cool promises. All right, wake up. You got to see this. That's some amazing promises that the God of all life is promising to you and I as followers of Christ. And we will only choose to be a follower, not just a fan of Jesus. But I'll truly follow him when my next anxious moment comes, he will prepare the way to handle it. Well, let's look at the next part of the story. Look at verses 8 and 9. He then refers to the faith response. You know what I found interesting as I was studying this passage this week? Is he uses the exact same two words here that we just looked at in chapter 4 last week, chapter 4, verse 7. So when Peter repeats it twice in one short book, you can bank it's important. And guess what? This is the next imperative. This is the next, you got to do this if it's going to work. In other words, he says, be alert and of sober mind. Exact same two words he used in chapter four. So it must be important. And he say, be alert and sober minded. And then he tells you why your enemy, and you do have an enemy, by the way, if you're a follower of Christ, your enemy, the devil, satanic realm, Satan prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. And, and that, that word, be alert, again, is in the imperative. It's an absolute that you and I have got to be willing to do. It, it means to keep awake. It means to pay close attention, to be watchful. And here's the point. He is connecting the fact that when you and I go through anxious moments in life, we can also be very vulnerable. Satan knows when to attack. And when you and I are teetering, he wants to push you over in the wrong direction. In fact, the next phrase, that he uses, be alert and of sober mind, has a similar emphasis, but it means to keep your balance. You know a drunk person can't keep their balance, right? If you haven't seen the videos, I'm not going to ask you if you... Never mind. You know the cops, they pull you over and they give you a test and see if you can do this, right? And the people that are not sober, they fall all over themselves. That's the picture and he's saying, my friend, when you go through anxious moments, you've got to be alert because Satan will attack. He will look for the opportunity to make life worse and to distract you from what matters and what only God can do. And he say, be alert and be sober-minded. Be of sober mind. Pay attention and let Christ help you keep your balance. And then he tells you why. Satan, listen, have you ever watched National Geographic? I love those. You know, it can get kind of bloody at times. I, I get that. You ever seen a lion do what they do in terms of hunting prey? All the time, and I'm no lion expert, but I, I, based on what I've seen, the lions don't run from 100, 200 yards 
towards this pack of animals trying to get a prey and scream and roar and, you know, pound their chests as they're running towards them. You know what they do? They subtly crouch. It's very interesting. These big, beautiful, powerful animals crouch to the ground, almost hiding in the grass in the things that they can have cover on. And they watch for the weakest animal in the pack, by the way. And they creep up slowly on the prey before they roar and pounce. That's the lion. And that's how the satanic realm will work if you and I are not grounded in Christ. Satan will take the opportunity to push you over in the wrong direction. God's word is very clear about this. Jesus himself said to the disciples when they were struggling with staying awake and he's about to go to the cross and he said to them, watch and pray. And they couldn't do that. They were struggling. Watch and pray so that you will not, what? Fall into temptation. And then he says, the spirit, that part of you that is connected to Christ, connected to God is willing, but the flesh, our old nature is what? Weak. That's why, my friend, we can't rely on the flesh. You can't rely on yourself. You need to learn, and I need to learn how to rely on Christ. Because who I am is a nothing but a big pile of weak. But through Christ... There is strength beyond anything I can imagine. And when I don't rely on him, the roaring lion will show up. But listen, by the time the lion is roaring, it's too late. That lion has been creeping up on you for quite some time before he gets to the point of pouncing. Are you aware? Are you watching? Because according to God's word, that's real. The devil, Satan, satanic realm, friend, those are not mythological mythological characters according to God's word. It is a real being that's looking to destroy you and I. Are we prepared? Are we watching? Now listen, I don't mean to make you paranoid because here's the good news. Look at what he says next in verse 9 as we wrap it up. He said, and you have the power in Christ to do this, by the way. He says, not only be alert and sober-minded because of that enemy, the lion is always looking for an opportunity to push you over into the next temptation to destroy your life. Verse 9, he says, resist him. Resist whom? The satanic realm, the roaring lion. You can resist him. But listen, notice how he says you are to resist him. Standing firm in yourself good, you're awake. No, it's in your faith, in Christ. Standing firm in the faith. Why? Because you know that we're in this together. I'll come back to that in a moment. Look at the word resist just for a moment, because that that word, as you might imagine, is the next imperative in this passage. It's a must. It is not a suggestion, it's a command. And it means, as you you can imagine, to stand your ground. But friend, you better not stand your ground in your own strength. You better be standing on your ground in Christ, trusting Him, not yourself. Because that roaring lion is going to have a heyday. You're a red meat with a roaring lion in your own strength, but not in Christ. James put it this way. The half-brother of Jesus said it this way. Submit yourselves then. Submit to God. Follow him. Submit yourself to God and resist the devil. Did you see that last part? What happens? And he, that is Satan, 
has no other choice, will flee from you. You know why? Because Satan's already defeated. He can harass you. He can cause all kinds of havoc in your life if you let him. But in Christ, you can cause him to flee and the evil and the satanic realm to flee away from your life by standing in Christ. You see, Jesus defeated Christ when he died on that cross and he resurrected from the dead. He is, it is over, it is done. Jesus has accomplished everything that is needed for Satan, the satanic realm, to flee from you. But we gotta stand in Christ. We got to quit relying on self because that's bad news every single time. Would you actually walk and face a roaring lion in your own strength? Really? I don't think so. It doesn't make any sense spiritually as well. That's just as real, if not more real, in life. So God's word says at the point that you're willing to submit to him and trust Christ, that is the point that you have the power to cause the satanic realm to flee. And he has no other choice. He can only come to you through Christ, period. It is finished, as Jesus put it. Now look at the end of the story. In verse 9, he says, resist him standing firm in the faith. And then he, he says something that's, that's important to, to note. Because you know, that means to know by experience, that the family, family, did you hear that? Family of believers throughout the world. Did you know you've got family around this world you've not met? All over this globe. He said the family is a family of believers throughout this world is undergoing the same kind of sufferings. Have you ever felt at some moment where you're having those anxious moments and you felt like you're the only one? Sometimes. That is stupid, right? Because that's not true, right? I'm not calling you stupid because I've done that too. But, but it's not true. And, and what Peter is wrapping up with is we're not alone. You're not alone. So quit doing it on your own. Do it with the body of Christ. Face your anxious moments and your challenges in life with relationships and this body in place where we can stand not alone, but what? Together. You've heard me say this at least a million times. And I'm not making this up. This is God's word. We are truly, we are better together than we are apart. Whether you're here or you're online, we are better together than we ever will be apart. That's how God told us to do this. This faith that you and I have in Christ is not your own little personal journey. It is us. It is supposed to be a community of faith that walks together in the midst of the anxiousness and the battles and the challenges that we have in life. I, I wish I had time. I could give you one example after another where this body has made and is even right now as I speak, making a difference with people in this body that are struggling and are in pain and are just having a hard time. That's who we are, Right? That's who Christ inspires us to be. And Peter is saying, in a, a roundabout way, you're not alone. So quit acting like you're alone when it comes to those moments in life. I've shared this uh, some time ago with you before, but years ago, years, and it's getting farther and farther away, when my two oldest kids were young, my oldest Emily and Jonathan, I think Emily was maybe early elementary and Jonathan was either preschool about to go into kindergarten or going in first grade, somewhere in that age bracket.
But I'd share, shared with you before that we went with some family friends. They had three kids. We had our two at the time. And there we were, went to Fiesta, Texas uh, one summer day, and it was crowded, lots of people around. And But we were having a blast and having a good time. And we went into a restaurant, a hamburger place to have lunch and having a good time. And it was just like organized chaos. We were just having a blast together with our two families. And we get up to throw our trash away and we all walk out the door, at least I thought we did. And my wife and I looked at each other almost at the same time and said, where's Jonathan? And at that time, my, my son, he's, he's way past here now, but nonetheless, when he was down here, he was also at the time on seizure medications that we had to give him in the afternoons as well. So we looked at each other and said, where's Jonathan? We realized in a minute, my son was gone. He had gone out another door that we had all gone out together, lots of people around too. So we're not quite panicking yet, but when that search for my son around Fiesta, Texas turned into 10 minutes, 15 minutes, 20 minutes, and even up to about 30 minutes of looking, I started feeling a little bit, I get almost anxious thinking about it now. That was my anxious moment, let me tell you. When you lose your kid and you don't know where the, the world they are, well, come to find out, kind of like a homing pigeon, he went out one door, went all the way across the park looking at his favorite rides, looking for us, because he had gone out one door, we'd gone out the other. And he ended up coming all the way back across the park and sat in the same booth that we had just had lunch in. And a lady knew that we were looking for a little boy. And she said, I think maybe your little boy's inside. I was the last one to get the news. My wife walks out with my, my son around, uh, you know, hugging him around his shoulders. And I'm looking at him and I wish I could describe the feeling. You ever, you ever had that feeling? Oh, God, thank you. That, that was just an amazing moment to see my little boy that I didn't know what in the world was going on. But yet God was good through every moment of the anxiousness. And he provided a way for us to find our son. And I've shared with you before, I believe, you know, from my son's perspective, we were the ones that were lost, not him. And he, I guess he was right because he found us. But nonetheless... Anxiousness will hit you when you don't expect it, right? Here we were in the midst of having a great time as a family. Everything was just blue skies and fun and rides and everything else. And then wham, something happens and anxious moments come. So Peter is asking you and I as a follower of Christ, and I'm asking you today, myself included, are you prepared? Are you prepared for your next anxious moments? Because it will come. It's not a matter of if, but when. And so Peter is saying the first step you ought to take is make sure you've got a spiritual basis. Have you developed a humble heart? Do you see your need for Christ? And are you willing to submit to Him one moment, one day at a time? And, and then develop a Christ perspective. That gives you the basis and the foundation to prepare and respond well to your next anxious moment. And then he says, step two is the faith response. Be aware of the spiritual darkness. Be aware that the satanic realm is looking for an opportunity to attack you and tip you over and push you in the wrong direction. Are you aware of that? And then understand that in Christ, you have an ability to fight back. You can resist. You're not vulnerable because of who Jesus is and what he has accomplished. He is more than enough for whatever moment comes your way. Now listen, I know that when I say that, there are some really deep moments in life. Believe me, I get that. And it will not feel like he's enough in the moment, but he is. And you and I've got a choice. I can either go with how I feel or go with my faith. And then I got to choose it again. 
I got to make the choice of faith over how I feel. So I get this now, that little thing came, but I don't know what that is. Sometimes it will happen that you don't feel that that's true, but that doesn't make it not true. I know that's bad grammar, but it's reality. Christ is more than enough whether you recognize it or not. That's the basic fact. And the reality is, what are you going to do? So when your next moment comes, are you, ask yourself, I hope you will, truly, am I prepared? I don't mean perfectly, but are you consistent in your faith with Christ, in your relationship with Christ? Are you truly following him to such a degree that you're prepared for your next anxious moment? Because it is coming. Are you prepared is the question.